Go ahead and grab a seat. Five G's. We are talking today, have talked about glorifying. We've just read about glorifying. We've just sang about glorifying. We are to be a people glorifying. That's what we were created for. That's what we were created for. Everything we do, including everything that we've done this morning, everything yet to be done this morning, everything in the future is ultimately about the glory of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. That's our call. Oh, that in everything he might have preeminence, that he would be the center of the target, that he would be the finish line that we're accelerating towards. Glorifying. Hey, Harvest, that's how we run here. That's how we run here. It's all vertical. That's where we seek to point it to. That's what we seek to be increasingly about. And glorifying Jesus Christ is the engine for growing in Jesus Christ. Without a passion for glorifying Christ, uh, you are not going to have a passion to grow in Christ. That's just the reality of it. Uh, We've sang about it. We've read about it. We've sang and read that he's the Lord, that he reigns eternally, that he's the Almighty, he's the Savior, the Redeemer, the soon-coming King. Yet is that how we live our lives? This is an opportunity for us to gather together and ask some questions and just uh, look into our own lives with what's going on in our lives, growing. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him, rooted in Him, built up. Uh, we talked last Sunday. That's the idea of, that we are to be walking in the kind of a way that where it's an action that is presently, continuously, actively, all the time. And it's in Him that we're walking. I just want to note, uh, uh, Paul was not talking in Colossians 2 about some behavior modification program. It's not about painting over the exterior of one's sin condition, only to walk into hell with a tuxedo on. That's not what this is about. It's not about rearranging the, the furniture on the Titanic if it's still going down. The, the core of changing in Christ is not a horizontal behavior to be corrected, but a vertical relationship to be restored and lived out. It's vertical. That's where Paul talks about Philippians 3 we mentioned last week. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that it may be gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ. Power of his resurrection fellowship of sharing in his suffering that's what paul's talking about that's a whole life rewiring purpose we grow in christ because growing in christ glorifies christ hey harvest if glorifying and growing are not front and center for us as a church let's just pack home pack up and go home because that's what this needs to be about that's what this must be be about 
And, and I'm assuming that you're here today essentially with the heart of, I want to be one that is increasingly glorifying Christ, and I want to be one that is increasingly gro- uh, growing in Christ. I, I'm assuming that's the case. Would, would that be a good assumption? Okay, excellent, because here comes out of that a question. And the question is this. If I'm to be growing in Christ, Doug, could you tell me what's an area I should increasingly be growing in Christ? I'm so glad you asked, because that's where we're going. Third G, we need to be growing in graciousness. Graciousness. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, In fact, point number one, graciousness, I am to ooze it. I'm a simple guy, and I get what oozing means, and we are to ooze graciousness, and we see it in Colossians chapter 3. Let me begin here in verse 1, set some context here. Paul saying to the church in Colossae, this is written to believers If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, glorify Christ. Uh, Where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earth. Be growing. Uh, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I would say we could say those couple verses, glorifying and growing. Okay? Now let's get into the growing reality. Verse 5, put to death. Okay, pause. I want to make sure everybody understands. This is not saying wrap it up in a different color. This is not saying, you know what, kind of like um, set it over here for a while. Kind of like just put that in your back pocket. What's it saying? You tell me. Put it to death. Okay, guys. Movie, death, gladiator, okay, put it to death. This is violent. This is kill it out, strangle it. Uh, You're wondering where I'm going with this, but I think you'll get it here from what Paul's saying. Put this to death. Put to death what is earthly in you. And here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 right there. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Kill them. Kill the beast. And here they are. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Oh, and by the way, do not lie. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, Can can we all agree that verses 5 through 9 do not list those traits associated with graciousness? Can we agree on that? Okay, let's kind of make sure because that was kind of a, I'm not sure if everybody's in on that. Would you agree that verses 5 through 9 list traits that are not the kind of traits that would be categorized under the umbrella of graciousness? Okay, excellent. We're all together on that. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, anger, 
malice, obscene talk, lying, sexual morality, covetousness, kill it. These are self-kingdom traits. Uh, Self-kingdom says, I didn't deserve that. Anger, malice at you. Self-kingdom says, "Uh, you shouldn't have done that to me. So I'm going to slander you and cuss you out. Self-kingdom says, "Uh, I want that. Covet, steal, lie, sexual immorality. Self-kingdom says, "Uh, uh, I don't deserve that. That's not fair. Therefore, I'm going to give you my wrath. Self-kingdom living says, you annoy me. You are an extra grace required person. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for you. There's no grace in self-kingdom. Let's go to verses 12 through 15. What are the first two words? Put on. Okay, the other one was put to death. This means put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Holy means set apart. Set apart and beloved. Here we go. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? Well, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive each other. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your kingdom living graciously. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And I'll just say this, ooze that. Kill the other, ooze this, ooze it. Look at verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, putting on a life of love. Verse 15, uh, live out the peace of Christ. Let that, let Christ rule in you. Put on, who's that? Put on, put off. Let me illustrate this. Put on. Don't worry, it's not going to get freaky. Well, that may be by interpretation. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, essentially go into greater detail, telling us, just like Romans 6.23 says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Colossians chapter 3 there, just kind of summarizes up um, the kinds of things that are us naturally. And uh, so I'm trying to illustrate this. And by the way, I definitely do not need help putting any of these on. And I mean that seriously because they actually come quite naturally to me um, and, by the way, to you. Um, True? Okay. Just take a gander. Take a look. This is really who we are in and of ourselves. What does uh, verse 5 tell us to do with this stuff? Okay, some say take it off. I think it's a little bit more violent than that. To kill it. Okay, I need some help. Hey, Todd, could you help me? Karen, could you help me? Todd, I'll be real gentle this time. Last time Todd helped me. and I need help taking this off, by the way, because uh, uh, you can't take this stuff off by yourself. So will you guys help me in the process here? I'd really appreciate that. Oh, jeepers. It's harder taking it off than it is getting it on, isn't it? 
It's stuck, that's for sure. It's stuck on me. Oh, thanks, you guys. Man, thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? That's in Greek what, what verse 5 is saying. Now, is it enough just to leave it at that? That now I've got that off of me and now what am I supposed to be doing? What's verse 12 say? Put on. So I'll tell you what, I need some help with this. Could I get two others? Could you? I need some help putting these on because these don't come natural to me. And uh, they really, could you hold that? I appreciate you guys. Man, that's just, I'm going to lean on you. Oh, jeepers. I need to lose those 10 pounds. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, thanks. Oh, I can't get it in there. Yeah, this is my small group. Thanks, guys. All right. Okay. Excellent. Hey, appreciate it, guys, so much. Man, that, oh, and by the way, it's church. So get that out. Okay, so this is what we're supposed to put on. Okay, true. In fact, out of the text, you just, what are some of the words? Keep saying them, just keep saying them. Okay, excellent. Those are the things, and the term I'm using, the umbrella term is... Okay, is graciousness. That's what's supposed to happen. This is what we're talking about, or Paul is talking about out of Colossians chapter 3. Kill it! Put this on. Put this on. Now, that's an illustration, and that's a great for a picture, but it, I think it would really be helpful to see that in real life as well. So turn with me to Genesis 37. So far, we've gone to glorifying to Job chapter 1. We've gone growing to Mark chapter 4. And here I want to go to Genesis chapter 37. We are entering into the life of a man named Joseph, a young man. In fact, in chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years old. Uh, If you don't know the story, Joseph is the second youngest brother of a whole bunch of brothers. Um, Joseph was dad's favorite. Uh, Joseph's dad was Isaac, who, I'm sorry, Jacob, uh, Jacob, and his uh, name, God named him Israel as well. So sometimes you'll see that in the scripture for both names there with that. Um, and so Jacob is his father. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Can you already see problems in this family? Apparently, it's not a good deal. Not a good deal. This is a dysfunctional family, and we're going to see this happen here. It gives me hope. Every family is dysfunctional. So be of great courage. His brothers are out uh, with the sheep. Dad ends up going and saying, hey, uh, uh, son, will you please go and check up on the boys? I think it's a valid thing to do, uh, but maybe not so smart, ultimately, because it's kind of contained within there. If you read through the text, it's kind of go out and see how they're doing and then come back and kind of report what's going on. Uh, I was the youngest of three brothers. And um, I don't think they would have appreciated that approach. And maybe there were some reasons why dad had some concerns about the older ones. I don't know, but he sends Joseph out. Joseph obeys his dad. Joseph goes out to them. Now, one of the other traits I haven't mentioned so far about Joseph is, you know, if you're an older sibling, um, we might say, I'm not one of you, but 
Uh, you might say that uh, Joseph was bratty. Okay, maybe immature, maybe a bit ignorant because he just did some things in front of the older brothers. Just kind of dumb, just kind of dumb. And they hated him for it, combined with the fact that his dad, their dad loved him more. With all that in place, let's go to verse 18. They're out with the sheep and they saw Joseph from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired him against him to kill him. Now, I will say there were literally, there were some times where my other brothers told me, we're going to kill you. (laughs) I never in my whole life ever thought it was literal. This is literal. It's important for you to understand the depth of hatred for this younger brother. They were literally conspiring to snuff his life out. Verse 19, they said to one another, here here comes the dreamer. You can read the text to learn more if you don't know what that's talking about. Verse 20, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. All families are dysfunctional because of sin. But this is really sad. And I'm just going to say in certain aspect, some of you especially can relate to this. There's not much more that hurts than when your family bags you. Then he will say with what a fear, then we will say what a fierce animal devoured him and and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, his older brother, oldest brother, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, Uh, Let us not take his life. Way to go, Reuben. Got some kind of conscience there, I think. Verse 22, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Cast him into this pit where we're in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he might, that we might rescue, he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty where there was no water on it. Uh, They sat down to eat. How could you do that? I wonder if they heard Joseph in the distance. Eating. Where's the, how callous are you? And they eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah, one of his other brothers, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Are you kidding me? We can kill him, but what gain are we going to get out of that besides he's dead? Dude, you are messed up. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh man, you are so good conscience. And his brothers listened to him. Bad choice. And the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. Could you imagine being Joseph? And being carted away on the sand, looking back at your brothers who just sold you as a slave. I got to tell you what, I think right at that moment, 
the traits described in Colossians 3 verses 5 through 9 would probably be strong in my mind at this moment. Go to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife. Now, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. This is cool. Look at this. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Hey, I want for you to know, if your family disses you, deserts you if a spouse deserts you if parents desert you i want you to know god never deserts his children never now do know this as wonderful as a statement as that is the pain of having been deserted of doesn't leave The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How cool is that? So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. Success! Wow, some good's coming out of this. Very cool, very cool. Well, let's jump to verse 6. Now Joseph was as handsome in form and appearance, six-pack ab dude. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, you can read it right there. Hey, baby, come lie with me. If you've been ripped off in life and opportunities come along where you're pretty much like this, I'm doing what I want. And we use being ripped off in life as an excuse to be able to do what's wrong. This would be an incredible opportunity for Joseph just to be able to go, you know what? I deserve a little things. I deserve some love. (laughs) Look what he does. I still think he's a teen at this time. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. This is one wise young man. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except yourself, because you are his wife. Look at this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? This was a young man that was about glorifying the Lord. And then take into this verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day. Come on, good looking. Come on, good looking. After day, after day, after day. Wow. Chapter 40. I'm sorry, verse rest of the story. Verse 39, he hightails it out of the way. Leave me alone, woman. She grabs his garment. He still hightails it out. Husband comes home. She has his garment. She says he was trying to rape her. He throws her in jail. 
him in jail. Verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Question, would you be thinking Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9 things, or verses 12 through 15 things? Second time, ripped off in life. First time for being bratty. Second time, for honoring the Lord. By the way, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God never leaves his own. Never. Chapter 40, Joseph's in prison. There he meets the uh, Pharaoh's uh, chief cupbearer who's now in prison. Uh, Something happened, went bad there for the cupbearer. He's in prison. He meets him. Let's pick up verse 14. I'm sorry, right before that. He has a dream. The cupbearer has a dream. Joseph interprets the dream to help the cupbearer out. The cupbearer just got the lottery ticket out of the jail. Now look at verse 14. Joseph says to him, hey, uh, cupbearer, only remember me when it's well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Verse 15 is very important. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit for. Understand this. When those texts come along and say the Lord was with him and gave him success. All in that, Joseph knows fully and clearly he did nothing to get this. He was ripped off. His life has been taken from him. And he knows it the whole time. By the way, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Dude, you're kidding me. Tragedy number three. Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, two more years in jail. By the way, jail in that day was not good. Two more years of it. Chapter 41, Joseph goes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has this dream. No one can interpret it. Joseph shows up. God shows up in Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh puts Joseph as the vice president of Egypt, prime minister, essentially, of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. Sweet! How cool is that, isn't it? It is cool. It really is. Now, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 30. Let's do some math. 30. How old was he in Genesis when he got sold as a slave? So 30 minus 17 is what? 13. 13 years of misery. Maybe uh, under Potiphar, there was maybe a year, a couple years where it wasn't so bad. Almost half his life, almost half his life taken from him for being a bit bratty, not deserving that, for doing what the Lord was honoring and glorifying to the Lord, thrown in jail. 13 years. 
So often I'm emphasizing this because so often people read the story of Joseph and it was just like he was floating through these hard times. Are you kidding me? Even after 13 years, you never forget that your brothers sold you like a dog to die. Never forget that. You will never forget that. And yet in it all, God is very good. But I got to tell you, in all this, I think I would be a guy that would most likely be embracing Colossians 3, 5 through 9. But that's not graciousness. Seven years of plenty come into Egypt. It's now been some 20 years since he was sold. Then uh, seven years of famine. We enter chapter 42. His brothers come to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph is who Joseph is, is the vice president of Egypt. He knows they're there. What are you thinking? I'm thinking this is prime opportunity to Colossians 3, 5, and to 9 them. This is the time. Now it's my time. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. This is the time to do it to them. Let's take a look. What happens? We go to chapter 45, where they have the first encounter together. Chapter 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. (laughs) I'm telling you, come near to me. And five through nine is coming all over you. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine their heart rate? Can you imagine their situation right now? (laughs) Crud. (laughs) And now, do not be distressed or angry. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Uh, that's very important to understand. You know, we're not going to get into the sovereignty versus free, free choice. It's both straight up. It's both. And here he's acknowledging the reality. You guys chose to sell me as a dog. You chose to sell me as a dog. Look at this. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years now. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Three times in that short little statement set there. Three times Joseph refers back to the reality of, yeah, you did that to me. But also understand this, a sovereign God was fully involved in how it all ended up happening. God sent me here. Hey, friends, we don't have the time today. But I'm telling you, you have got to think through this. You have got to think through this because this is theology like theology has never been thought through before. 
a sovereign God, even when life bites for over 20 years. Unbelievable. And by the way, that's graciousness. Turn to chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, are I am in the place of God actions. Say that again. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, remember? Anger, wrath, sexual morality, all those things, remember that? Those are, I am in the place of God actions. I do what I want. I respond how I want. Because after all, I am my own king of my own little kingdom. And Joseph responds here. Do not fear for him. I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. Listen, these boys are fully held accountable for their actions. Fully held accountable. They were fully evil and evil was, will be held against them. Uh, they will be judged for that reality. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. I can't explain it all. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Look at the last part. Thus, he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. Are you kidding me? That's what graciousness looks like. Follower of Christ, you've been called to ooze graciousness. Something happened to you that you didn't deserve? Ooze graciousness. Someone actly wrongly someone acted wrongly against you ooze graciousness. Something didn't happen your way or the way that you expected ooze graciousness. Have you been sinned against? Ooze graciousness. Oh by the way, that also that does not mean to ignore the situation. It means to in grace progress to solve the situation. Graciousness Oh, by the way, ooze graciousness because your Savior oozes graciousness. Just listen as I read. But they all cried out together. Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death at all. I will therefore punish and release him. (laughs) No, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released Barabbas and he delivered Jesus over to their will. 
And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, essentially mocking him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, nailed, uh, uh, railed at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself in us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until 3 p.m. While the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Why be a person of graciousness? Because Jesus Christ oozes it out for you and I. Why should you extend compassion? Because he extends it to you. Why should you be humble and meek? Because he was for you. Why should you extend kindness? Because he extends kindness for you. Why should you be patient with others? Because he is patient with you. Why should you bear with others? Because he bears with you. Why extend forgiveness to others? Because he has extended forgiveness to you. Why love that person? Because he loved them to the cross. Friends, we just got to remember, you and I, We do not deserve the compassion and the kindness and the goodness and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. It's all grace. It's all grace. And by the way, Colossians 3 is really centered on talking about believer to believer. 
It's really centering on talking about what's to be taking place, especially first and foremost within the church. Hey, being in a church faith family is not pain-free. This is not heaven on earth. If you withdraw every time a person pricks you, you're going to lead a lonely, non-impacting life. There are no deep, lasting, long relationships without deep, lasting, long graciousness. There's often a drought of graciousness within churches. It's kind of the, well, they have a shady past. They wronged me. They disappointed me. They hurt me. Why are we surprised when believers sin? Why are you and I surprised when each of us sin? This church is not a haven for saints. This church is a hospital for sinners. And Harvest, I want to thank you. I think graciousness to one another has been one of the things that has been so distinguishing about this church. And I thank you for that. I want for you to know that if you have issues in your past, you are welcome to grow here. If you have issues in your present, you are welcome to grow here. Have you wronged someone here? Let's make it right. Has someone wronged you here? Let's make it right. Have I disappointed you? Was that a lame sermon? I'm not surprised. I hope you're not surprised. I'm just a regular guy trying to grow. Small group meeting didn't go so great. Who's graciousness? Wish something happened differently here. Who's graciousness? Harvest our capacity to live graciousness on every Sunday is the opportunity is endless. Do you come to receive grace or do you come to receive and pour grace? We need to be gracious here. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe you are struggling in the arena of graciousness. You, I want to remind you, you're called to ooze it. Your Savior has oozed it. And I also just want to read you this verse. 2 Peter chapter 2. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for doing good, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. I want to encourage us. Let's continue to work together on putting off five through nine. And if that means today you need to go home and seek forgiveness, I want to call you to do that. If that means you need to go home and grant forgiveness that you haven't been granting and you've been holding on, it's time to do that. By the way, I'm talking to you, not the person next to you. Graciousness is a trait of Christ. 5G disciples live out graciousness. Let's work at it together. Lord, I want to thank you for the time together. Lord, this is an area of my life this week I've kind of had a hard time with thinking about it. (laughs) There's oftentimes I don't want to extend grace. I want to get even. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that extends grace in an increasing manner. Lord, you've opened up the heavens and you yourself have stepped out of it and entered your grace into our world. You've opened up the heavens and poured it out. Oh my, who are we to be stingy with it? Who are we to be tightwads with it when it has been poured out upon us? For the person who knows Christ as their Savior, who has received the full redemption and forgiveness and renewing that comes through Jesus Christ. Oh, how can we be such tightwads with grace? And yet we struggle with it. Lord, I pray that we would be increasingly so a people that see that you've opened up the heavens on us and we therefore are a people that have the opportunity to open up the heavens on others. Lord, I pray for the person who really relates to Joseph's stories. Maybe they've had some hurt, 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 hurts in their life. I pray that that person would never lose sight of the cross and the graciousness that came out of the cross even on their own life. That they may never lose sight of the sovereignty of you that is extended continuously and constantly. May they hold on to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, open up the heavens. May we see more of you. In the precious, precious name of Christ, we pray.